0: Chapter Twenty One of Studies in Stagecraft. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by A. D. Latheron. Studies in Stagecraft by Clayton Hamilton. Chapter Twenty One The Art of the Moving Picture Play. The inventions of science serve frequently to broaden the domains of art by offering the artist new media of expression. The development of skeleton steel construction has given our architects an opportunity to imagine that new type of beauty in the art of building, which has obtained consummate embodiment in the metropolitan tower. Photography, which began merely as a mechanical process, has developed into an art more subtle, for handling elusive effects of light and shadow and even the major art of painting. The introduction of electrical illumination has revolutionised the art of stage direction in our theatres. As new avenues of opportunity are opened to the artist by the march of science, the processes of the traditional arts are required to readjust themselves to meet the new conditions. The scientific invention of the kinematograph suggested the artistic invention of the moving picture play a novel type of narrative wherein a fictitious story is represented in pantomima by actors and reproduced by the kinetoscope and the new art sprang at once into competition with certain of the previously established types of drama the domain of criticism is coextensive with the domain of art and should naturally be broadened to include these new provinces which the inventions of science and the consequent inventions of art have recently discovered and annexed It will not do for the critic to ignore a new art because it is new or because its basis is mechanical. All art arises from the application of a mechanism and the hoariest of the traditional arts was new at some time in the history of mankind. The critic of architecture must accept the skyscraper. The critic of painting must consider the new art of photography and it is surely not logical that the moving picture play should be ignored by our critics of the novel and the drama. A new type of narrative that has achieved such immediate and such widespread popularity as the moving picture play must certainly be worthy of serious criticism. If we should learn nothing else from the study of its materials and methods, we should at least succeed in clarifying our ideas concerning those pre-existent types of narrative from which it has derived its processes. Even a casual study of the moving picture play will convince us of the soundness of that principle of contemporary criticism that nearly every good play has for its basis a good pantomime, and that dialogue, the purely literary element, why not the least important, is at any rate the least indispensable of the many elements which are compounded in that complex work of art, the acted drama. the kinematograph bereaves the drama of the spoken word, and it must be surprising to the literary theorists to learn how much is left. how vividly the essential elements of action, character, and setting may convey themselves by visual means alone. Pantomime has been recognised for many centuries as a legitimate type of drama, but it is safe to say that the variety and the extent of its adaptability as a means of storytelling were never fully understood until the invention of the kinematograph demanded of it an unprecedented exercise. A familiar French one-act pantomime, entitled Le Man, has been reproduced by the flittering film and is fully as effective on the screen as on the stage. Such a classic of the art of pantomime as that wordless drama in three acts, L'Enfant Prodigue, devised by Michel Carre, which was recently revived at the Carnegie Lyceum by Madame Pilar Moran, could be produced by the Kinetoscope without any loss of dramatic effect, and would furnish an interesting evening's entertainment. But even the spoken drama might, in many of its classic manifestations, be kinematographed without irremediable loss. Several of the melodramas of Sardu have already been successfully submitted to the process and it is not impossible to imagine a wordless reproduction of even more eminent types of drama. Such a farce, for example, as La Médecine Malgré Louis of Molière could easily tell itself through the medium of the moving picture and would still awaken laughter. Molière's humour always expresses itself through the situation or the character and never through the mere language of the dialogue in all his plays there is not a single witty line and humour which is thus mainly visual instead of auditory in its appeal may be conveyed in pantomime the screen scene of the school for scandal to choose an instance from high comedy would remain clearly intelligible in all its necessary implications if it were acted without words and if we desire an example from poetic tragedy we need only consider that final scene of Hamlet would still be thrillingly appealing if it were projected on the silent but animated screen. The only type of drama which is absolutely unavailable for the kinetoscope is that in which the element of action is entirely subordinated to the element of character and in which incidents are imagined off the stage for the sake of their subsequent psychologic effect on the people present to the eye. The type that is represented by the tragedies of Corneille and Roussin and some of the social dramas of Ibsen and his imitators. But since the preponderant proportion of the existing drama conveys its message more by visual than by auditory means, it seems strange that more of our standard plays have not been reproduced in moving pictures. For some time we have utilised the phonograph to record the voices of our greatest opera singers. Why should we not utilise the kinematograph to record the visual aspects of the acting of our greatest histrionic artists? this available invention should surely be applied to make permanent record of such bits of acting for example as sir johnson forbes robertson's death scene in hamlet that moment when his half uplifted hands wave and flutter in the air and his face is for the last time suffused with the ineffable smile that dawned over it in the first act at the phrase methinks i see my father and then the head sinks forward in sign that for all eternity the rest is silence Surely this, and many moments like it, should be recorded, like Caruso's voice, before the living artist is stolen from the world. But, on the other hand, there is the sound critical reason why the moving picture play should not confine itself to the reproduction of the ordinary spoken drama. In several important respects, the moving picture is a more serviceable medium for storytelling than the regular drama, and it can achieve its most interesting effects by flinging emphasis upon such expedience of narrative as lie beyond the reach of the actual theatre. The main advantage of the moving-picture play over the traditional types of drama is that the author is granted an immeasurably greater freedom in handling the categories of place and time. The modern play must confine itself to not more than three or four definite localizations, but a story told by moving-pictures may change its place as frequently as the author may desire, He may arrange his tale in fifty scenes instead of four, and this is, technically, an immeasurable advantage. Instead of constraining his characters to meet at a certain place at a certain moment, he may visit them at different moments in the various places where they choose to be. In this freedom, the moving picture play resembles those earlier types of drama, which flourished before the stage restricted its range of narrative by adopting a definite scenic setting. Students of the history of the theatre will discern a close analogy between the moving picture play and that type of chronicle history which was developed in the early Elizabethan period and was utilised repeatedly by Shakespeare. The battle episodes of Shakespeare's histories, vivid with alarums and excursions, wherein the scene shifts momentarily from one part of the field of conflict to another, and the characters make a rapid transit before the eye, Launching hasty, incoherent lines in passing should be suggested more emphatically by the kinematograph than the modern scenery encumbered stage. Furthermore, the moving picture possesses a notable advantage over contemporary regular drama in its ability to alter, in the fraction of a second, the point of view from which the story shall be looked upon. As soon as a character has passed through a certain door, the scene may be shifted from the room that he has left to the room that he has entered and the eye may follow him all through a house, from cellar to attic, without any loss of time. The new art of the moving-picture play is the only one of all the many arts of narrative, which makes it possible for the observer to follow, with the actual eye, the passage of a character, through a mile or more of space. In this new form of artistic presentation, a person may walk, run, ride, drive, sail, swim, or fly for any distance and yet be accompanied through as an entire transit by the actual eye of the observer. This fact offers to the artist, who devises a scenario for the kinematograph, many possibilities of narrative, which lie far beyond the range of the writer, for the restricted stage of the ordinary drama. In this freedom of handling place and time, and in shifting the point of view, the moving picture play resembles the novel, which more clearly than it resembles the regular drama. The solitary horseman dear to Scott and Cooper could not be shown upon the stage but he might easily be represented on the screen. If we draw on our imagination we may readily adduce a more emphatic illustration of this point. Treasure Island, for example, could not possibly be dramatised for presentation in the regular theatre because the interest of the action is dependent on its rapid change of place from hour to hour but the entire story, from the outset to end could be told in moving pictures. Many of the scenes, since their appeal to the imagination is mainly visual, would be even more effective on the screen than on the printed page. In handling the element of action, the moving picture play is more successful than the novel, since its appeal is made directly to the eye instead of to the imagination, and it is scarcely less successful than the drama. In handling the element of setting, it is overwhelmingly superior, not only to the novel, but to the drama as well. In dealing with interiors, the moving picture play remains on par with a regular drama, but in dealing with scenes set out of doors, it passes far beyond the reach of the roofed and stationary stage. In the modern theatre, the forest of Arden is nothing but a huddled conglomeration of canvas trees, but in the moving picture play, scenes like those between Shakespeare's idyllic lovers may be performed in an actual forest drifting from place to place among trees that sift the sunlight, and flutter their leafy branches in the breeze. The kinematograph is especially successful in rendering elements of moving air and water. On the stage, the sea can be suggested only by a crude and bungling mechanism, but in the moving picture play, a scene may pass upon an actual sandy beach, with league-long round-backed breakers creaming on the shore. Boats always look silly on the stage, but the kinematograph may fluently represent the paddling of a canoe, past bend after bend, on a rippling river. Animals also, which can never be trusted to behave naturally in the theatre, may be used as important agents in the plot, when the scene is conducted actually out of doors. To the mind of most contemporary artists, the element of setting is not the least significant of the three necessary elements of narrative, and it is therefore an exceedingly important point a criticism is forced to concede that the local environment of a story may be exhibited more directly and more vividly in the moving picture play than in any of the older types of narrative. It is only in handling the element of character that the new art is at a disadvantage in competing with the novel and the drama. The many expedients that the dramatist and the novelist may use for delineating character are reduced in the moving picture play to one. What people are may be suggested only by what they do, by their deeds, and only by their deeds we know them. In drawing character, the moving picture play suffers a strict confinement of range in consequence of its inability to use the spoken word. Only a small minority of those innumerable characteristics, which are compounded into any individual human temperament, express themselves naturally in action, which is obvious to the eye. Here, then, In handling the element of character lies the weakness of the moving picture play, considered technically as a type of narrative, just as, in handling the other element of setting, lies its strength. This analysis makes it possible for us to define the type of story which may be most competently represented by the kinematograph. Obviously the most desirable narrative material for a moving picture play is material in which the elements of action and setting are paramount and the element of character subsidiary in other words a story in which incident treads upon the heels of incident and the action rushes headlong through a hurried succession of objective events set preferably out of doors it will be noticed at once that whereas this definition utterly fails to fit the modern regular drama it almost exactly fits the traditional romantic novel of adventure if we revert to an illustration that has already been adduced we shall observe that this definition of what is necessary in a moving-picture play points directly to that traditional type of narrative that stevenson revivified in treasure island in fact a rereading of stevenson's gossip on romance will give us a very vivid sense of the sources of the interest and charm of which the moving-picture play is particularly capable what stevenson says in praise of the romantic novel of adventure may be applied with equal justice to that new art which did not spring into existence until after he was dead the story he says should repeat itself in a thousand coloured pictures to the eye it was for this last pleasure that we read so closely and loved our books so dearly in the bright troubled period of boyhood eloquence and thought character and conversation were but obstacles to brush aside as we dug blithely after a certain sort of incident like a pig for truffles for my part I liked a story to begin with an old wayside inn where, towards the close of the year seventeen, several gentlemen in three cocked hats were playing bowls. A friend of mine preferred the Malabar coast in a storm with a ship beating to windward and a scowling fellow of Herculean proportions striding along the beach. He, to be sure was a pirate, one and all at least, and each with his particular fancy, we read story-books in childhood, not for eloquence or character or thought but for some quality of the brute incident. Conduct is three parts of life, they say, but I think they put it high. There is a vast deal in life, where the interest turns, not on the passionate slips and hesitations of the conscience, but on the problems of the body, and of the practical intelligence, and clean open-air adventure, the shock of arms, or the diplomacy of life. With such material as this, it is impossible to build a play the serious theatre exists solely on moral grounds and it is a standing proof of dissemination of the human conscience but it is possible to build upon this ground the most lively beautiful and buoyant tales here in the words of a great artist in narrative we have a clear and comprehensive statement of the possibilities that lie open to the maker of the moving picture play he cannot contend with the dramatist in working out those problems of conscience which confront the will. He cannot compete with the novelist in analysing characters, but he may tell, with a vividness beyond the reach of their less visual expedients of appeal, the most lively, beautiful, and buoyant tales, in which the interest is centred not in eloquence, or character, or thought, but in some quality of the brute incident. It is evident, therefore, that the art of the moving picture play is not an art to be despised or ignored by serious criticism. It represents, in fact, to look on it from the historical point of view, a reversion to an earlier and more perennially refreshing mood of narrative than that of which latterly has assumed dominion over the novel and the drama. The moving picture play carries us back to the boyish age of the great art of telling tales, when stories were narrated nakedly as stories instead of being sickly-doer with the pale cast of thought One can hardly imagine Mr. Henry James devising a successful scenario for the kinematograph, but the Shakespeare who wrote Richard III and the Homer who wrote The Odyssey would experience no difficulty in fulfilling the requirements. It is only very recently that the masters of the art of fiction have made war upon the optic nerve and exalted the subjective over the objective. Our modern interest in those intimate phases of character which refuse to reveal themselves in action is certainly sophisticated and excessive. It is therefore with a feeling somewhat of relief that we notice the newest of all the arts of narrative. The moving picture play disembarrasses its stories of psychologizing, and tells them in the free and boyish spirit that vivified the epic, the drama and the novel throughout the centuries before the world grew old. It is not surprising that the moving picture play has driven out of existence the cheap type of popular melodrama The reason is not merely for the moving picture show could undersell the regular theatre and offer a performance for five cents instead of for ten, twenty, or thirty. In the whole history of the world, no art, however cheap, has ever annihilated a more expensive art which is basically better than itself. The real reason for the triumph of the moving picture play is the purely critical reason that it offered a more artistic type of narrative than the old popular melodrama. In cheap melodrama, All that was worthwhile was the vividness and the variety of the incidents. The characters did not count, except as puppets in the plot, and the dialogue, crude and frequently absurd, was more a bother than a help. In abolishing dialogue, the moving picture show relieved the cheap drama of its weakest element. It could suggest character, with less obvious falsification than the actual popular drama, and it could easily excel it in the projection of incidents, both on the score of variety and on the score of vividness. The thing that is surprising is that, except in France, the moving picture play has not more fully availed itself of those artistic opportunities which are open to it, and thereby raised itself to competition with more refined and more expensive types of drama than were set forth in the old ten, twenty and thirty cent theatres. Many of the moving picture plays which may now be seen are good, but only a little imagination is needed to see that they may easily be made better. Certain reports in the newspapers have indicated recently that the popular interest in moving pictures throughout the country is declining. If this be true, the new art must bestir itself to fulfil more completely than heretofore the high artistic aims of which it is indubitably capable. It is too good an art for the public to lose, and it can retain its popularity if it labours to deserve it. End of chapter 21